Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.30 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, thank God. It is the 7th day of November, 2023, and this is episode 819 of Bitcoin, and happy birthday to Noster. That's right, Noster, as of today, at exactly 1.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, will be Noster's third birthday. It'll be the third anniversary of the very first commit to the Noster GitHub code base. Fiat Joff, I can't, I cannot thank you enough for this creation that you've given to all of us for basically free. I, it's astounding. Seeing how this thing has grown in the last three years is, it, it's beyond words. It's absolutely beyond fucking words. I've never seen anything like it. I don't know if I'll ever see anything like it again. I hope I do, but I mean, just think of it this way. And I said it on the show yesterday. In the past two years, as far as I can tell, almost half of all of the highest utility applications that have hit the web are now represented on Noster. Things like Linktree, you know, Instagram, general social medias, streaming, logins. I just, it goes on and on and on and on and on. It, it, I don't really know what to say. But when I interact with Noster, it feels like something special. And not just the people that are on it, the system. The system itself makes sense. Is it janky in a couple of ways? Of course, it's only three years old. And yet it contains almost half of the highest utility platforms that you've ever seen come in the web, which took decades to do. And half of them have been replicated on Noster using the Noster protocol. I want to start today with Melvin Carvalho's note on Noster that says, Happy birthday, Noster. Three years ago today, the first commit in the Noster open source project was made. Version 0.0.0 was the basic relay code for a censorship-resistant alternative to Twitter that has a chance of working. And indeed, if I go, and he gives a a link basically to uh, to the GitHub code to this particular commit, of version 0.0.0, and it was done November the 7th, 1.02 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Absolutely amazing. Just congratulations to, you know, shout out to us, man. 
to everybody that's made this work and will continue to make this work. Noster is something that everybody should be using. If you have friends that still just refuse to get on it, figure out a way to get them onto Noster. It's going to be a critical infrastructure in the days to come. Now, let's get into the news. Oh, actually, you know what? Hold on for a second. I'm not going to get into the news. I need to do a uh I need to do this. And this is the Circle P and I'm introducing Cabanas na Mata. And you can get that at a uh, link tree, well, linktr.ee, linktree. It's just the way you go to linktree and forward slash cabana cabanas na Mata, C-A-B-A-N-A-S-N-A-M-A-T-A. He has like, this guy's got four cabins. And by the way, it's DeFi Yogi, in case you're you're wondering. And it's down there in Brazil, right? So it's not like you can just, you know, it's not like it's in the United States or if you're listening to me from Europe, it's not there either. It's in, it's in, they're in Brazil, okay? But he's got four cabins that are listed on Airbnb and that link tree, and I'll have that in the show notes, this this link to the link tree will get you to all four of the cabins so that you can book these things. One of them is kind of near and dear to my heart because it replicates as much as possible a Hobbit house. That's right, from the Lord of the Rings and the book, The, the Hobbit, the, the Hole in the Ground, although this is not in built into a cave. It's actually a, a freestanding structure, but it's designed to look very much like a hobbit house. And it's, it, it's, I would love to stay in one of these things, honestly. So you, I, I will have the, um, there's two Noster uh, accounts. Uh, I'll have the end pubs to both of them. One is to Cabanas Namada. And the other one is to DeFi Yogi so you can DM, DM him and find out how much these things cost and how you're going to get there and how you're going to book it and all, doing all the things. But he is in the Circle P and hopefully you will take a trip down to Brazil or if you are one of my Brazilian listeners, you'll get a hold of this guy and go on a nice vacation. Take your wife, take your husband, take your kids, you know, do all the things. Anyway, so there's the Circle P. Now, now we can get into the news. And we're going to start with Caitlin Long's Custodia Bank launches the Bitcoin custody platform. That's right. And this is written by, who the hell is this written by anyway? Uh, oh, Helen Parts out of Cointelegraph. Custodia Bank. A cryptocurrency-friendly bank founded by Bitcoin advocate Caitlin Long has launched its Bitcoin custody platform, also known as the BT custody platform. The firm took to Twitter on November 7th to announce the launch of Custodia Bank's Bitcoin custody service targeting businesses like fiduciaries, investment advisors, fund managers, and corporate treasurers. The launch comes soon after Custodia Bank earned approval from the Wyoming Division of Banking to go live with the service, the announcement notes. Announcing the news, Custodia Bank emphasized that the platform is a non-lending bank built by Bitcoiners that offers segregated custody accounts on its custom-built Bitcoin custody platform. The statement said that Custodia Bank offers integrated Bitcoin custody and U.S. dollar services 
on one platform designed to simplify user operations and reduce risks. Custodia Bank added, quote, Since we built our Bitcoin custody platform in-house, we're especially grateful to those willing to help us by providing user feedback, end quote. Custodia Bank's approval from the Wyoming Division of Banking follows a series of regulatory challenges for the firm. In January of 2023, the Federal Reserve Board rejected the bank's application to become a member of the Federal Reserve System, saying that it was inconsistent with the required factors under the law, whatever the hell that means. The Fed subsequently denied Custodia's request to reconsider its membership application in its system. Yeah, because it's a good old boy system. In a detailed report in March of 2023, the Fed's board said that the decision to reject Custodia's application was due to concerns about banks with a high concentration of activities related to the crypto industry. Custodia Bank opened for business in August of 2023, though the Fed has blocked much of its proposed business model. Founded in 2020, Custodia Bank is aiming to bridge the gap between digital assets and the U.S. dollar payment system and a digital asset custodian. The firm was formerly known as Avanti Financial Group and is based in Cheyenne, Wyoming. Custodia Bank did not respond for a request for comment. All right, so Custodia Bank... One of the reasons that is unspoken by the Fed as to why they continuously deny their application to become a member bank of the Federal Reserve System is because it's a 105% reserve bank, which means that for whatever dollar they say is on their books, they actually have a dollar and five cents, right? That's so that if anything happens, they can completely service 100% of their customer base and still have like 5% in reserve to hopefully get them out of the fire. That's why the Fed doesn't like these guys. Because they're actually doing banking the way banking should be done. They have the reserves. There's cash in the bank. They have everything required in case there's a bank run to service every single customer. If every single customer wanted to withdraw their funds from custodia, they got it. The Fed doesn't like that. After COVID or right before COVID, United States banks were, well, their reserve ratio was 10%. So for whatever it is that they had loans out or or they had uh, customer deposits, they only actually were required to hold 10% of that number. After COVID, that went away. Now there is no reserve requirement for United States banks. They can lend whatever they want. They can basically take all of their customer deposits and give nothing back if they go under. In the case of a bank run, if you're a United States bank customer, you're kind of shit out of luck. There's no reserve requirement. And Custodia went the opposite direction. And the Federal Reserve doesn't like that because their good buddies basically look like they've got egg on their face because of it. But, you know, we'll, again, as normal, we will, we will have to wait and see. Uh, thank you, Lake Satoshi, for telling me that everything is looking and sounding great on the Zapstream. Yes, I decided to do a Zapstream again today. Um... I had asked yesterday for people to tell me if they really wanted me to do this because I really wasn't getting that many people. 
And at least two or three people said, yes, I do want the live stream. Please bring it back. And that's all. Honestly, guys, that's all it takes. That's all it takes for me to, to you know, get off my ass and, and do something is for you guys to say, no, I don't like it when you don't do a stream. So please do a stream. And I now I'm doing the stream. That's this is for y'all. OK, this is this is for everybody that's in zapstream.now or zap.stream. Now, this is this one's for you. OK, this one's for you. All right. Real estate. Speaking of getting back to the Circle P and DeFi Yogi, uh, you know, you've got four cabins. Well, it's real estate. He owns it and he's trying to get a return off of it. That makes sense. And we have this particular piece from Lee and Wankum out of Bitcoin magazine entitled Bitcoin will completely change real estate markets and interest rates. People used to own real estate because of its utility value, which is characterized by the fact that you can live in it or use it for production. Today, however, it serves the world as a primary asset for storing value, a former function of money that is no longer possible due to decades of monetary inflation. I was about to replace that word with chicanery, but whatever. Uh, That has decimated people's purchasing power. This development coincides with the Nixon shock of August 15, 1971, when the U.S. President Richard Nixon announced that the United States would end the convertibility of the United States dollar into gold. Since then, central banks around the world have started operating a fiat-based monetary system with floating exchange rates and no real currency standard. The money supply has been rising steadily ever since. Real estate has served as the world's primary asset to protect wealth from the resulting inflation. Today, around 67% of global wealth, about $330 trillion with a T, trillion dollars, is stored in real estate. As a result, housing and therefore the cost of living have increased significantly. Since the introduction of Bitcoin in 2009, there has been sound money again, which serves as a store of value by default. By functioning as an actual store of value, Bitcoin will most likely absorb the monetary premium that real estate has accumulated over decades of monetary inflation, and housing will collapse back to its utility value. The properties of Bitcoin make it an ideal store of value. The supply is finite. It's easily portable, divisible, durable, fungible, liquid, censorship-resistant, and non-custodial. Real estate cannot compete with Bitcoin as a store of value, which is rarer, more liquid, easier to move, harder to confiscate, and cheaper to maintain. Below, I will describe what far-reaching consequences this could have for the global financial system. Housing, interest rates, and lending. In addition to being used as a savings account, and that's in quotes, real estate is one of the most frequently used forms of collateral in the banking system. The asset, therefore, has a major influence on lending. Under a hard money standard, real estate will be replaced by Bitcoin in this capacity because Bitcoin's properties reflect many of real estate's value offers on top of fundamentally more secure and cheaper custody and easier accessibility. As the bearer free estimate, sorry, hold on. As a bearer free instrument, it serves as pristine collateral. There's already an emergence of a variety of Bitcoin lending products. Overall, Bitcoin is likely to replace real estate as one of the elementary assets in the global financial system. 
This would also fundamentally change the cost of housing, lending, and interest rates because all of these variables greatly influence each other. In the following, I will try to explain in detail how these changes might look. Utility value of housing under a Bitcoin standard. The same forces that determine the price of every good on the market, supply and demand, will also determine the utility value of a house under the Bitcoin standard. In a free market, the cost of housing in an exchange is the highest utility a person could derive from the amount of money they give up to have a roof over their heads and not have to live or sleep on the street. Housing is a certain percentage of everything that there is to buy, and as market ratios change, property prices move. Prices are related to the percentage of a person's wealth that they are willing to spend on housing out of the resources that someone would spend on everything else available in the economy. The subjective value that individuals place on housing varies. For example, some are willing to pay a premium for location. The decision to buy, build, or rent depends on personal preferences. It's difficult to say what the percentage of financialization would be. Overall, it will likely be significantly lower than today. Since people can save in Bitcoin by default, and no longer have to invest to offset monetary inflation. The market will sort it all out. Building under a Bitcoin standard. In general, deflation will lead to lower construction costs, allowing more people to build their own homes. However, in any industry, there will be specialization and division of labors. Entrepreneurs can earn interest, i.e. rent, by taking risks and investing their time into capital, into building a house that they can rent out. Ludwig von Mises called this originary interest, not ordinary, but originary interest, which refers to the markup between factor prices and the expected revenues from the sale of the finished product. The cost of building a house depends on the cost of materials, labor, the reasonable profit margin for the builder, The size and location of the land also affects the price. So building a house will make sense for people with expertise or for people who have time and enjoy it. Of course, for those who can't build, it wouldn't make much sense. They then decide between buying and renting. Buying under a Bitcoin standard. Real estate prices will ultimately depend upon supply and demand. If people are willing to pay a premium for location, etc., they will. Deviation from the average will be the natural result of market forces. Overall, price movements of housing will become more closely tracked to population changes and scarcity of land. And Right now, land scarcity is artificial due to government regulations. <laughs> Read that as zoning laws. It is likely that regulations will continue to exist as municipalities and similar entities are interested in creating a particular building appearance, but they are unlikely to be as restrictive as they are today. In general, housing would be cheaper because the proportion of financialization would be significantly lower and it would become cheaper over time due to deflation. When buying a house, rent should be considered as an opportunity cost. Because the opportunity cost of owning a house to live in is that it can't be rented out to generate additional income. I want to pause right there. I I do. I'm going to pause right there just to, to, I'm going to pause at this. Let's say, and I know that this is, this is weird. 
so let's okay let's let's do it this way you buy a house no mortgage that means that you just come up with like 350 grand I just whip it out man and you buy a house there's no mortgage the only thing that you've got to cover is whatever property taxes there are and that will vary country to country state to state county to county you you name it school district to school district but let's just say you buy it and your uh, your property taxes are let's say let's go cheap let's go like a uh, uh, a year. You got to pony up. What if you're paying yourself rent on the house that you own and that you live in? What if you buy that house and you don't put it in your name, you put it into a company's name, a company that you have control over, and then you pay yourself rent. And then all of a sudden, you're actually getting a tax break on that rent and you're saving that money. Now it's a little, it it becomes a little weird if you're just doing it solely for yourself. It, It does seem a little strange. However, let's go back to somebody like DeFi Yogi lives in one of the three or four houses that he owns. If, and I don't, I don't think he does. They're all rented out for Airbnb. So, but let's say that he had four houses and he, he, okay, five, got, DeFi's got five houses, he rents out four, he lives in one, but he's paying himself rent, plus getting rent on all the Airbnbs every time that they get rented out. And all of the structures are actually owned by a company and not directly by DeFi Yogi. All of a sudden you have tax, you have tax break implications there. Now, I don't know how it works in Brazil, but up here in the United States, you can work that as an advantage. But I, what I want to illustrate here is that just because you own the house does not mean necessarily that there's an opportunity cost because one, you can maneuver your way in the United States to get some tax breaks on basically saving and you still own the house. I know it's a little weird. It's a little weird. It's not exactly the most well thought out idea that I've ever had, but it's something that I'm toying with when it comes to being able to pass down property to your children and your children's children and not actually have to take a hit on an inheritance tax or so-called death taxes because they're in a company and the children are not actually inheriting the company. They're just officers of the company and quote unquote, take over the control of the company when you die, then there's not an inheritance. They just take distributions out of the company like everybody that owns companies always do. You see how that works? And all the time, all the rent, all everything that you've been saving by paying yourself rent is in those companies. You see where I'm going with this? The, 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 this is a way, a different way of thinking about how we move into the future. And it's going to be really important for people like farmers that want to pass off their land. And instead of letting their children inherit it and then figure out that they've got to sell half of it to make the money to pay the tax bill on the inheritance tax, they can just get the land and just control it. This is a very bastardized way of thinking about Klaus Schwab and his statement of you will own nothing and you will be happy. I think maybe we should perform some judo on that 
and say, you know what, Klaus, you're right. I'm going to own nothing and I'm going to be happy because I have control of it, not ownership of it. See how that works? Let me continue. Renting under a Bitcoin standard. An important factor in determining the average cost of rent in a given geographic area will be the average disposable income of a household in that area. Over time, rental prices would emerge naturally from the market. This is a very complex subject. According to Ludwig von Mises, rent is not the specific revenue from land. It is a market phenomenon where entrepreneurs are willing to take risks by investing funds in the production of a house to earn originary interest, the implied rate of return on a production project. In other words, rent is the percentage excess of total revenues over total expenditures. When renting, the surplus money from not purchasing a house can be used for something else that is considered more important. For example, to finance a business or to save. Interest rates under a Bitcoin standard. In a free market, under sound money, the actual or market interest rate depends on various factors. In particular, the supply and demand for capital. When the supply of capital exceeds demand, the market interest rate falls while it rises when demand exceeds supply. The market interest rate is therefore the price at which capital is exchanged on the market. A net interest rate would emerge naturally, as will, for example, the average rents. We can expect the average rent to be close to the risk-free interest rate under sound money, plus an adjustment for risk. Because, after all, the rental is not risk-free. The property could be damaged and rent not paid. Yes, insurance could be taken out, but that would involve additional costs. We can assume that the risk-free interest rate would reflect the general time preference of people in the economy. Under a fiat standard, the risk-free interest rate is tied to inflation. A U.S. Treasury bond with a yield of 5 to 6% would be considered risk-free, among other things, because the yield theoretically compensates for the loss of purchasing power that fiat money experiences over time. More importantly, the risk-free interest rate component of fiat money refers to a country's risks of default, which is generally considered very unlikely since states are able to produce money endlessly. Under a Bitcoin standard, the risk-free interest rate component refers to the risk of loss of Bitcoin in self-custody. This is less than the historical certainty that any fiat currency will eventually go to zero which is often not reflected in the fiat market's risk-free interest rates. When stored in cold storage, those Bitcoin are the hodlers alone and not in danger of confiscation or inflation by third parties. The risk-free interest rate for Bitcoin is related directly to productivity. Since Bitcoin is finite, the value of individual units increases as human productivity, as stored in Bitcoin, grows. There is a risk of not participating in the increment in the value of Bitcoin in the event of a loss. A greater productivity of the economy increases this risk. The interest rate on a loan would likely be the deflation rate plus a risk premium to compensate for potentially losing Bitcoin. With a finite money supply like, you know, Bitcoin, there is no need to generate additional returns, as is the case with an inflationary fiat currency where losses in purchasing power due to monetary devaluation must be offset. Bitcoin's change in value 
would be related to economic output with Bitcoin's purchasing power adjusting to the economic climate. The price will adjust to expected productivity gains by rising and will fall in line with expected losses like after a natural disaster. The incentive for someone to lend Bitcoin will be considerably low because there's just no benefit in potentially losing out on deflation without adequate compensation and as a result, interest rates will likely be significantly higher and market participants will think carefully about lending and borrowing. The lender must consider the risk of a significant loss of purchasing power if the money is not paid back and will need to require sufficient collateral to protect against the risk of default, which would have harsher consequences in a deflationary environment. The borrower must consider the interest to be paid and the difficulty of repayment due to the risk of deflation. To a Keynesian economist, this may sound like a deadlock for the economy, but on the contrary, it is good if there is a risk associated with taking out a loan. This will likely lead to a healthier market environment and true innovation as people will not pursue ideas for which there is just no demand because this would simply be uneconomical. Therefore, there will most likely be fewer useless companies feeding on cheap money, which there are numerous under today's fiat standard. Demand for real estate investment loans would also decrease as people can save in Bitcoin. This would change the home buying experience. Much of the current financial infrastructure surrounding real estate, including brokers, will become less important and partially disappear. Bitcoin as collateral. Under a hard money standard, like Bitcoin, people are not pressured to borrow to keep up with rising prices due to decaying money. In fact, under a hard money standard, Prices would be expected to do the opposite. However, lending would still be useful in certain situations. For example, when someone quickly needs money to capitalize on an idea. Entrepreneurship often requires capital quickly to put a business idea into action. Starting a business often requires more money than savings are available, and it's not a good idea for an entrepreneur to use all of their savings as this incurs an opportunity cost as the security and protection that the savings provide would be lost. Having savings is very important in order to manage the uncertainty of the future. Another example would be buying a house, which would be capital intensive, even under a Bitcoin standard. As accessible collateral, Bitcoin is likely to create a world in which credit will be far more attainable than it is today. This could enable greater productivity and efficiency in the global economy. In conclusion, overall, we can expect that a Bitcoin standard will increase the general standard of living as deflation will reduce costs and Bitcoin as sound money will allow people to, you know, fucking save and build some wealth. For God's sakes, real estate will lose its monetary premium and collapse to its utility value. The value will then flow into Bitcoin and real estate as shelter becomes more affordable. As Bitcoin absorbs the monetary premium that real estate has accumulated, the attitude that, quote, houses always go up in value, it's a safe bet, end quote, could be corrected to houses are potential liabilities and Bitcoin will always go up in value, it's a safe bet. Interest rates will likely be significantly higher and reflect the reality of the market, leading to real price signals that would allow the market to unfold naturally. Drastic boom and bust cycles would be a thing of the past. All right, so there you go. There you go. 
that's sort of we've been thinking about Bitcoin and how it relates to interest rates and real estate for quite a while. And this is a really good overall view of that relationship between fiat standards, Bitcoin, interest rates, the overall macro economy, where we've been over the last 70 years, housing, real estate, and the whole thought of the utility of having a roof over your head. It's a utility. So think about it this way. Think about it this way. For years, at least the last 10, okay? Specifically the last five, but let's go for the last 10 years and just look at that. People that have had houses were addicted to looking at the Zillow app on their iPhone or Android or whatever. And what they would be looking at, why they were so addicted to it, is that they would be looking at the value of their own house as it skyrocketed. And specifically, you know, right as COVID start, starts getting rolled out, you could totally, totally loan, you know, grab a cash from a bank as a loan against equity in your house, effectively pulling money out of your house that honestly didn't exist. It didn't exist. All the house prices that you see today are false signals of a decaying monetary system. They were never, ever, ever real numbers. Just because Zillow app told you that your house was worth half a million dollars and just because the banks were stupid enough to lend you $250,000 at a 2% interest rate against the value of your house that you just happened to only own $250,000 in, which means that now you're back to zero on your house, just because everybody was being stupid does not make that house worth half a million dollars. That shit's not coming again. All the people that are stuck in their houses right now, and there's a lot of people that are fine with their house. They want to live there. They like their house and kudos to them. But there are some people that, God, they really need to move, but they're never going to get a two and a quarter percent interest rate on a 30-year mortgage in the United States ever again. And they know it. So they feel trapped. Well, but their house is worth $750,000. And they have $350,000 in it and they need $200,000. So they're just going to go on down to the bank. And we're talking about today, November the 7th, 2023, and say, hey, bank, I need $100,000 in a loan. Here's the house you borrow against it. Here's my equity. And you know what the bank's going to say? <laughs> no, no, that, that ship has sailed. Some people will be able to pull that off. Most people will not. They keep looking at their house like a bank account, and that is always wrong. Please stop doing that. All right. Ordinals have jammed up everything. Let's let's talk about it. Inordinately high, Bitcoin Ordinals sends BTC transaction fees to fresh new five-month highs, according to William Suberg out of Cointelegraph. Bitcoin transaction fees are at their highest in nearly six months as a brand new wave of inscriptions boosts competition for block space. Data from statistics resource BitInfo chart shows the average BTC transaction fee approaching $6 as of November the 7th. The return of Bitcoin ordinals is making its presence felt this week as on-chain transactions attract highly elevated fees. 
In an environment reminiscent of the second quarter of this year, block space is being taken up by bullshit. I mean, ordinal inscriptions. Ordinals are stupid, non-fungible tokens that store data directly on the blockchain. He didn't actually say that. Uh, BRC20 ordinals can add significant transaction numbers for Bitcoin miners to process on-chain, clogging up the mempool and resulting in more competition for confirmations. The result is higher fees. Now, this is a little bit, you know, more to the article, but we're in a high fee environment. Uh, I think I saw 97 Satoshis per V-byte when, before I started the show. And, uh, and it's because of these ordinals. What? What? Why? What? What? What could possibly have happened to make this environment you know, come again? Binance. Because of Binance. And here's another one from Cointelegraph. This one is written by Zil Hyun Sun. Bitcoin ordinals see resurgence from the Binance listing. Yes, that's right. Ordinals, a BRC20 token collection minted on the Bitcoin blockchain, have surged by 40.8% in the past 24 hours to $10.19 after listing on crypto exchange Binance. According to Binance's November 7th announcement, Users can now trade ordinals against Tether, Bitcoin, and the, God forbid, the Turkish Lira. Binance claims that it did not charge developers any listing fees for the ORDI, O-R-D-I, token, and that withdrawals are open as of November the 8th. As part of initial incentives, the first 1,000 users who deposit at least 72 ORDI to the exchange receive a 50 USDT trading rebate voucher, quote, Ordi is a relatively new shitcoin that poses a higher than normal risk, <laughs> for fuck's sake, and as such will likely be subject to high price volatility. And that's all we need to know about this article. So what, what's happened? We've got extraordinarily high fees. Why? Because ordinals have resurgence in the market. And why is that? Because our good friends Binance, who quote-unquote love Bitcoin and made all of their money because of what Bitcoin brought has decided to sit on the toilet and take a big giant dump all over Bitcoin and flush it down the toilet. I, you know, every time I want to be in CZ's court, he does something like this. On what planet would you list Ordi, a high risk shitcoin? as all the other altcoins are having some extreme troubles. And how extreme, do you ask? How, how extreme is the shitcoin market? You know, what, what extremes are they facing? Check this shit out. Sander Lutz, Decrypt.co. Ava Labs confirms layoffs affecting 12% of Avalanche Studios employees. Yep. Homeboys yesterday that I told you about cut their staff by 50%. Well, now Avalanche is getting rid of 12% of theirs. Crypto startup Avalabs, which supports the Avalanche blockchain network, laid off substantial portion of its workforce on Monday. Following the initial publication of the article, this article, Avalabs founder and CEO, wait for it, Amin Gunsirer, tweeted that the company had parted waves with 12% of its workforce, which allowed the firm to reallocate resources to double down on the growth of our firm and the avalanche ecosystem. Quote, bear markets are difficult to navigate, Emin added. 
Ava Labs is fortunate to have significant runway and resources at our disposal, and we will be focusing on those resources on advancing the Avalanche ecosystem for years to come. Decrypt asked the spokesperson to clarify how many people were affected by the cuts, but, of course, they did not actually receive a response. Garrison Yang, VP of Growth and Strategy, at Ava Labs wrote on Twitter on Monday afternoon that the cuts affected many people in the company's marketing division. Another laid-off employee wrote that the layoffs have hit so many others. It remains unclear whether Monday's cuts have impacted the company's technical teams, but by all accounts, the layoffs have been widespread to the, 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 to the degree that, even amid the current brutal crypto bear market, they caught many employees by surprise. Quote, I thought we were turning a corner, one laid-off Ava Labs employee who asked not to be identified told Decrypt, but it seems like it was quite a few of us. End quote. One former member of the gaming marketing team wrote that he understands money's Monday's cuts to be part of a larger restructuring issue. Late last week, NFT marketplace OpenSea underwent similar restructuring and that was the company I was telling you about that laid off half of their workforce yesterday, or at, that I was telling you about yesterday. Okay, so the cuts are coming. The cheap money is gone. The 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 these people, this Emin Gun Sarir guy, which I'll get into in a sec. Yeah, he's got nowhere else to go except to destroy the lives of his employees, who he told were going to get rich. Who is Emin Gun Sarir? If you don't remember this jackass from years ago, basically shitting all over Bitcoin at every chance he got is a professor of computer science. I believe it like it's an Ivy League college and I don't think it's Harvard. I Is it Yale? I can't remember where this asswipe works, but he spent his career transitioning himself from a poor, broke ass Ivy League computer science professor into a blockchain guru, right? And like all the rest of them, just launched a shit coin, launched a shit chain, and spent the next few years of his life basically telling everybody how Bitcoin sucks and how Avalanche was going to be the answer to everybody's ills. And now 12% of his workforce has been basically sent packing. This shit doesn't get, this isn't going to get any better for the shitcoiners. If you're holding any of these shitcoins, I beg you, I implore you, get rid of them. Stop holding this crap. It's not good for you. It's not good for your future self. Just do away with it. And now we'll run the numbers. CNBC, futures and commodities, oil is getting wrecked. West Texas Intermediate is down 3.86% to $77.70. Brent North Sea is likewise down 3.76% to $81.98. Natural gas is down 3.83% to $3.13 per thousand cubic feet. Gasoline itself is down damn near three full points to $2.17 a gallon. Again, as usual, good luck actually finding that at a pump. Gold is down 0.6% to 1976 
and 40 cents. Silver is down 2.3, platinum is down 2, copper is down 1, palladium down just over 4 full points. Ag is sucking swamp water too. The biggest loser today is going to be sugar. Nope. Corn. Yep, that makes sense. 1.62% of the downside. And the only thing in the green, soybeans, 0.63% to the upside. Got live cattle also down one and a third. Lean hogs are up 0.4%, but feeder cattle are down just over 2%. But the Dow, we're all saved. It's up a fifth of a point. S&P is up 0.39%. NASDAQ is up over one point. S&P mini is down a quarter. Bond yields are all down. Okay, so from the one-month U.S. Treasury all the way to the 30-year U.S. Treasury, every single thing is in the red. All of the yields have dropped rather substantially today. The 30-year bond is yielding 4.71%. The 20-year is yielding 4.89%. The DXY dollar index, 105.48. So, yeah. There, there you go. Now, Bitcoin is, yeah, well, it's doing its thing. It's at $35,347. Average, uh, or average transaction value is half of Bitcoin. Median transaction values have risen to about $60, which means that ordinals seem to be sliding down as far as how many are, are being transacted. Maybe we'll get some relief by the end of the day. Block times are still high. 10 minutes, 22 seconds. Uh, 0.62 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis, but 85 BTC, Jesus Christ, taken in fees over all the last 24 hours. Miners getting rich, bitch. 9.71% slide in hash rate brings us down to 415.7 exahashes per second. Dogecoin, your shitcoin indicator, is holding at 7.4 United States pennies. $692.6 billion is the market cap for Bitcoin. That is 5.27% of gold's entire market cap. You can now purchase 18.2 ounces of your favorite shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,535,661.78 of. And 5,298 of them son of bitches are chilling out in the Lightning Network, now valued at $187.9 million dollars. 14,549 nodes, 62,770 payment channels that we can see, and 82.2% of all that shit's being run over Tor. Now for the mempools. Ready for the bad news? It's, oh, 212 blocks, 155,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear at high priority transaction fees of, wait for it, 108 Satoshis per V-byte. That's about $5.36 per your your average transaction size. $5.36. Why? Because we have apparently absolutely no, you know, no compunction about buying apes on the on the lightning network and ordinals. And it's just it's so fucking stupid. Low priorities, you're going to still be paying through the nose at 94 Satoshis per V-byte. And anybody who was dumb enough to list a transaction under four Satoshis per V-byte are going to find their ass purged out of mempools around the world. 
Uh, hash rate for mempool.space is flashing 417.2 exahashes per second. So, so that's pretty much in line with what I just read you. So that's pretty much the, the, the hash rate. Um, I got back into the charts or at least, uh, maybe number 12, I don't know, but I'm not, at least I'm, at least I'm on the charts somewhere. And that's thanks to Fatoshi with 2102 says, waiting for repaired phone slash wallets, etc. Good health, sir. Thank you, man. Dubrovko with 1280 says, not protected free speech. Fuck right off. Quote, if you want to know who the, who rules over you, Look at who you are not allowed to criticize. That was spoken by George Orwell, falsely attributed to Voltaire and then to a neo-Nazi, likely by people that rule over us. Dubrovko with another 1280 says, effing zing. And then he's got an Instagram here. Let's just see what that Instagram actually says, because I didn't see this earlier today. See if I can find it. Uh... When you've been wondering why they're pushing so hard for a cashless society, and then you see government freeze the financial assets of political dissidents. Yeah, no shit, dude. No, no shit. Uh, Black Card Biz with a 1021 sat says, hashtag all sats matter at allsatsmatter.com. That's allsatsmatter.com. Axelrod with a thousand says, glad you made it out of the K-hole from your recent surgery. Quote, the universe is your mommy and daddy, end quote. <clears throat> Lol, love it. Good rip. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. God's death, 370. Thank you, sir. Glad you're back. No, thank you. And Pies finishes us out as usual with 100. Says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And this section of the news is brought to you by me. Why me? Well, because I need you to help me expand my use, my listener base, my user base. I want more people listening to the show. I want to be able to show other people, hey, look, you know, the, 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 the guy gets listeners. Because at one point or another, I got to monetize the show. I've been saying that for years. I know. I get it. I get it. I get it. I just can't stop doing the show, but man, at one point, I I, I got to shit or get off the pot, and that means that I got to go after advertisers, or I need a shit ton more listeners, because I don't want to continuously leverage the people that already listen to me, the people that already donate to me, and hit you up for more Satoshis. The only way to really get this shit done is if I ask you to use your time and your talent to market this show for me. Why? Because I cannot apparently market myself out of a wet paper bag with holes in it if it was fucking on fire, okay? I don't know why I suck at marketing, but I do, which means that I have to depend on the current user base to go out into the street and tell people the good news of the Bitcoin and podcast and get them to donate Satoshis to me via Podcasting 2.0. Now, with all that said, PayPal stock surges as pledge to turn leaner keeps crypto concerns at bay, according to Reuters.com, written by Niket Nishant. And by the way, I'm bringing this to you for not what was in the headline, but for something else. 
PayPal Holdings added nearly $4 billion to its market value after a pledge to turn leaner fired up investors, even as the payment giant disclosed a subpoena from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission tied to its stablecoin. Yes, right. That's why I'm bringing this to you. Simply put, our cost base remains too damn high, the company's new CEO, Alex Chris, said on Wednesday, adding that the PayPal or that PayPal would align its resources to its most profitable growth priorities. The upbeat forecast underscored the robustness of consumers' financial health, which has allowed them to keep up with their spending binge, even as the economic climate remains uncertain. The SEC's subpoena indicates that the regulator is keeping up pressure on the cryptocurrency industry despite recently losing a high-profile court case against Grayscale Investments. PayPal said it was cooperating with the subpoena from the SEC's enforcement division, which has asked for the production of documents. And this is all about their stablecoin. What the hell is the name of that thing? PyCoin? Something like that? I can't remember. But stablecoins are crypto tokens whose monetary value is pegged to a stable asset, right? The company became the first major financial technology firm to embrace digital currencies for payments and transfers when it launched its dollar-backed stablecoin in August. Separately, on Thursday, the company named Insider Archie Deskus its new chief technology officer. Okay, well, it doesn't really say that much about what's going on with the subpoena from the SEC and their PyCoin bullshit, but PayPal is in the crosshairs of the SEC, which I find actually kind of amazing. It's almost as if the SEC, after getting their ass handed to them by the smallest kid on the playground during recess, is decided to go pick on the largest kid in the playground. It baffles the mind. But I did see that a United States lawmaker is wanting to write up a bill to get passed in Congress which would reduce Gary Gensler's pay for what he gets as chairman of the SEC to $1. $1. Let me repeat that to you again. $1 is what he wants Gary Gensler to get paid as chairman of the SEC. Ostensibly, it's because this complete and utter mishandling of how they're dealing with quote-unquote crypto, how they're dealing with their lawsuits and getting their asses handed to them all the time it really does look like Gary Gensler is on the ropes and that his job is at stake. And honestly, I don't know if I, I, I I think I should actually say it. I think I'd rather have Gary Gensler remain the chairman of the SEC and completely fumble everything from now on than to have somebody actually competent come into the SEC. But it is what it is because we have, well, Let's talk a little bit about this FedNow thing. Bitcoin Magazine, Nick Hoffman is writing it, FedNow's impact on your financial freedom, what you need to know. Now, before we get into this, I'm reminding everybody that the Federal Reserve of Chicago is suing, or no, has threatened to sue Bitcoin Magazine over their FedNow branded merchandise. So talking about the kid picking a fight with the smallest kid in the playground, here's another one. But I think this is Bitcoin magazine is going on a reactionary bent to basically sully the name of the federal reserve. And I am 
100% here for it. Last week, the Federal Reserve sent Bitcoin Magazine a cease and desist letter in an attempt to silence criticism of its recently launched FedNow Interbank Clearing and Settlement Service. The Central Bank of the United States is claiming that Bitcoin Magazine merchandise parodies its service. It's not protected free speech, but rather, rather, rather an unauthorized infringement of its image and trademarks. The Federal Reserve alleges that Bitcoin Magazine used the trademark without permission to mislead readers into believing a connection exists between the publication and the central bank, while previous Bitcoin Magazine coverage of the Federal Reserve, particularly pertaining to its FedNow service, states otherwise. Quote, but what is FedNow? It is actually a scam, said Bitcoin Magazine's Isabella Santos, covering the launch of the service in an episode of Bitcoin Backstage. Quote, Meaning the government wants to keep controlling you, your business, and everyone else's. They would have a direct hand into every transaction made between banks through their system, tracking every single one of your payments. End quote. Bitcoin Magazine has covered the events leading up to and since Fed now launched this past July, this new service from the Fed aims to empower banks and credit unions of all sizes to facilitate instantaneous money transfers for their customers. The Federal Reserve claims that FedNow transactions can be executed 24-7, 365 days a year. Quote, the Federal Reserve built the FedNow service to help make everyday payments over the coming years faster and more convenient, said Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Jerome Powell at the time of launch. Quote, over time, as more banks choose to use this new tool, The benefits to individuals and businesses will include enabling a person to immediately receive a paycheck or a company to instantly access funds when an invoice is paid. End quote. While FedNow is not a new currency, nor is it a CBDC, it does give the Federal Reserve even more centralized control over the financial and banking system. One could argue that the U.S. dollar is already almost a full-on CBDC, as most payments and banking is done online today. Giving the Fed and other banks the ability to control your payments, track your history, close your accounts if they disagree with you, limit you from withdrawing cash, and more. Bitcoin offers a decentralized alternative to this alarming form of banking. The Bitcoin network operates 24-7, 365 days a year without the need for a trusted third party. It is permissionless, meaning the Fed or anyone on the planet does not have the ability to stop you from using it to send and receive money. And with the Lightning Network, Bitcoin users can send BTC to and from each other at little or no cost, reaching instant settlement. This new form of finance is an upgrade on the traditional financial system, not only because of the benefits of a truly decentralized and permissionless network, but because of the currency. Bitcoin has a hard cap supply, meaning there will never be more than 21 million BTC compared to the United States dollar, where there is an unlimited supply, apparently. The FedNow service seems to be one step further into locking people into a financial system where their money is controlled and depreciating. Bitcoin allows users to gain full control of their money, transacting as they please while saving in a currency that appreciates over time. There you go. Not, I think, I'm, I'm gut feeling here. I get the feeling, it's a gut feeling, that Bitcoin Magazine is going to go on a full on assault 
and onslaught of the Federal Reserve. I was hoping that this particular article would be a little bit more heated, a little bit more eh, directed at stabbing at the heart of the Federal Reserve, but maybe they've got that in reserve. Maybe they'll come out with more stories. And I kind of think that they will. I kind of think that they're going to push this into the face of the Federal Reserve and literally ridicule them time and time again. And if Bitcoin Magazine does not do that, I'm going to be sorely disappointed. I can't help it. I will be sorely disappointed if Bitcoin Magazine doesn't just take their ass to the woodshed and spank them like the redheaded stepchild that they are. Now, Kathy Woods, her ARK Invest has sold $3.8 million in grayscale shares, but they've snapped up $5.6 million in block. Matt DeSalvo, Decrypt, tells us what Kathy's up to. Bitcoin bull Kathy Woods ARK Invest has again sold off grayscale trust shares, and they've bought $5.6 million in block. Trading activity shows that ARK's next generation internet fund sold 139,506 shares of GBTC while buying 113,326 shares of Block Incorporated and adding them to ARK Innovation ETF, ARK W Fund, and ARK Fintech Innovation ETF. It is the second time ARK Invest has sold grayscale shares in recent weeks. Weeks. On October the 24th, they unloaded almost $5.8 million in Coinbase and GBTC shares after the price of Bitcoin boomed. Today, GBTC is priced at $26.75 per share, and uh, which is a 70, oh, 0.74% dip since yesterday. ARK is the second largest holder of GBTC shares. It is also the second largest holder of Coinbase, America's biggest coin exchange. Block is a Bitcoin-focused payments company founded by ex-Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey. The company was previously known as Square and owns the popular mobile app Cash App, which can be used for buying and selling Bitcoin. And last week, Block reported better-than-expected Q3 earnings posting a net revenue. A net, this is not gross, a net revenue of $5.6 billion, which is up 24% year-over-year. So there you go. Kathy Woods dumping that shit grayscale crap and buying an actual company that has, to to date, been a pretty solid Bitcoin company. They haven't gotten into shit coinery. They haven't released an ordinals package with block branded bullshit. Kudos to Jack Dorsey for keeping his diapers clean because everybody else has basically shit the bed including Gemini UK. They're going to block Bitcoin transfers to and from non-approved exchanges brought to you by NoBSBitcoin.com. That's right. Quote, the decision was made in response to new regulations which require virtual asset service providers like Gemini to share information about the sender and the receiver on both ends of the crypto transaction. Gemini has partnered with Travel Rule Universal Solution Technology, also known as trust, (laughs) to enable these changes, which are designed to crack down on fraudulent activity in the industry, announced the company. Per Coinbase, 
Trust currently includes over 90 entities, including UK registered banks, CoinPass, Fidelity Digital Assets Limited, Gemini UK, Kraken UK, Paysafe, and Skrill and Revolut. Quote, to ensure transparency of data from 17th November 2023, Gemini will only permit outbound transfers to other registered trust VASPs. Gemini will block any outbound transfers to a non-trust VASP. You can view the full list of registered trust VASPs here. From 1st of December 2023, Gemini may freeze and or restrict users who are attempting to make inbound transfers to Gemini from a non-trust VASP. This is due to these transactions potentially missing the required information to ensure transparency of the transaction. When depositing or withdrawing from your Gemini wallet to another crypto address, we will need to request additional information from you, such as your name who's going to receive the funds, and in some cases, your physical address. Another exchange operating in the UK, Crypto.com, provided a somewhat clearer explanation of what to expect when depositing or withdrawing assets from a custodian. So, we don't even have to, this is, I wanted to bring this to you because this is about Gemini. I don't want to talk about what the hell is going on with Crypto.com. It's the wallet thing that really, really gets to me here because it really does bring it home that this wallet is not your wallet. In fact, it's not a wallet at all, is it? It's an account. Let's just be straight up with it. It's an account. If if you say that you have a Bitcoin wallet, then you better mean your own private, non-custodial hardware wallet or something else where you spun up the private keys all by your lonesome, maybe in your underwear, under the cover of darkness with a glass of red wine or something. I don't know, but it's your wallet. That's a wallet. The rest of this bullshit, these are accounts and they can be frozen. They can be directed. They can be subpoenaed. They can be handed over to the United States government I or any other government for that matter, the UK government. I just... The Gemini wallet is not a wallet. And anybody who thought that they had control over anything in that wallet was lying to themselves. And Bitcoin maximalists have been trying to guard against this for years. And what did we get in return? We got laughed at and we got pointed at. And honestly, at this point, if, if you just, if you're going to continue to laugh at the Bitcoin maximalists for trying to guard your wealth, then all I can say is fuck you. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Time for Dad Says Jokes. Did you hear what happened to the wooden car? It wouldn't go. Bonus joke. What did the horse say after it tripped? Help, I've fallen. And I can't giddy up. Huh? 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 All right. Circle P. Show is brought to you by Circle P. Cabanas na mata. That is Cabanas na mata. This is out in Brazil. But, you know, hey, if you're going to go to Brazil and you're anywhere close to one of these four cabins in Brazil, I highly recommend that you hit up my boy DeFi Yogi. For instance, the Hobbit Hut. 
goes for $145 a night. Now, I don't know if that includes cleaning fees or any deposits or anything else. This I'm just literally reading this from the Airbnb, but it will sleep five guests. It has one bedroom with four beds and one bathroom. So this would be a great place for a family to go. So because you're kind of going to be sharing, you know, it seems to me that it's basically one big room, but it's really really fun looking it's got it looks like it's even got a pool out front uh let's see specially prepared to welcome families yeah it is absolutely magical private and very comfortable space with capacity for up to five people a couple and the focus on up to three children we have created the perfect environment for moments of creativity projection and special celebrations the cabin does not have a suite the cabin shares the same bedroom It has a bedroom, no, it shares the same bathroom. It has a bedroom with a large king-size bed and even has a playpen, you know, like a crib. We still have three more single beds for children or family members. Uh, Let's see. Oh, let's see. Guess, oh, yeah, okay. So that's about it. I mean, you know, 145 bucks a night, you know, to chill out in a Hobbit house, pretty cool. And hopefully if you do rent it, DeFi Yogi will uh, maybe throw me some sats my way. Now, again, uh, a uh, heartfelt thank you to all of you that have been joining me in the Zap stream and a heartfelt thank you to anyone who is going to help me market the show to your friends and family and anybody else that you know upon the interwebs via your various social media platforms. Um, it would be a help. It would be a real help to get this show back to where it was, my listenership, and I don't know why. Maybe it was because I was pontificating upon the Israeli-Hamas war. I don't know. All I do know is that every podcaster that I've ever heard always says something about one of these wars, and then like four days later, they come back and say, I lost listeners because of that. Yeah, this is probably not a good idea, but it is better to have somebody who will tell you what they truly feel than somebody who will, you know basically just suck up to whatever pontificating buffoon happens to be on CNN at the time. And with all that said, I will see you upon the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.